Kia ora, I'm Damien Venuto. It's October 2nd and this is The Front Page, a daily podcast presented by the New Zealand Herald. Our biggest cities are facing tough budget decisions that could have a big impact on you. Both Auckland and Wellington have to make tough decisions about how to save money and raise more funds to pay for what the cities need. It means both cities are facing the prospect of cutting services or large-scale plans, or for Auckland at least, major rate rises in the middle of a cost-of-living crisis. So how did these cities get into such a financial mess, and what needs to change about the way they're run? Later, we'll be joined by Wellington-based senior reporter Georgina Campbell to talk about the capital's financial woes. But first, Super City senior reporter Bernard Orsman is here to discuss the massive headache on Auckland Mayor Wayne Brown's agenda. Bernard, why is it that Auckland Council is looking at raising rates and water bills next year? Well, it really boils down to budget pressures. There's inflation, interest costs on $12.4 billion debt and depreciation, and they've been cited by Mayor Wayne Brown as the three costliest challenges facing the council heading into the new 10-year budget. Add to that, you've got falling revenue post-COVID and the ongoing problem of a growing population and decades of underinvestment in infrastructure. And it's been highlighted in the recent weeks by these big sinkholes that are appearing around the city. So you just have the swarm of issues that are coalescing and creating pressure on Auckland Council to now raise rates. Exactly. How much do you ratepayers currently pay when it comes to those rates? And how much of a hit do you think Kiwi families will take if rates rise? Okay, so currently the average household in Auckland pays about $3,560 a year in rates and a further $1,340 in water bills. And combined, that's $4,900. So pretty much, you know, five grand a year for council services and water services. And that's key for everything that makes the city work. You need that money. Exactly. We've heard about the holes in Auckland Council's budget for years now, but why have things become so much worse? Why is this the moment that we are focusing on this issue? Well, I think a number of factors have sort of come to a head over the last couple of years largely driven by inflation and also COVID sort of stripped the council of tens of maybe hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue and sort of coupled with those challenges that I outlined before, I mean, they're just making things worse. And also there's a reluctance by ratepayers in Auckland to accept higher rate increases and that's been the case for many years. Mayor Wayne Brown has also said the council will need to cut costs, cut services or raise rates. Is there any indication of the ideal option. What's he thinking of doing here? Well, I think it's probably going to end up being a combination of all three. But as we learned in this year's budget, there's strong opposition out there to cutting services that Aucklanders really value. And um, as Brown told me this week, a lot's going to depend on what councillors are prepared to give up. And he said that councillors are currently working through things that have popular support like public transport, making better use of the roading network without having to launch into new projects as sort of, you know, a way to move forward in an affordable way. Getting into Auckland Zoo will cost you more or less depending on whether you're an Aucklander, whether you can pre-purchase or perhaps choose a cheaper off-peak day. 
We really need to look at the, the revenue, the money that we make, and, and in an environment where one of the main revenue streams is, is the generous support we get from council, where that's reducing, we've had to look at emission prices to try and bridge the gap. It's all about trying to boost revenue while sparing Aucklanders the pain where possible. Bennett, rates were a major talking point at the last mayoral election. Do you think that a different mayor could have taken a different route or was this all inevitable? I think anyone who won the mayoralty would have been faced with exactly the same issues that sort of landed on Wayne Brown's desk. Although, I mean, there is a feeling amongst some councillors on the left that the best way to handle the current situation is to raise rates higher than what they already are. Oh, that, that's really interesting. I mean, are you surprised that the those on the left would be interested in doing that? Well, I think councillors on the left have always sort of favoured higher rates increases than councillors on the right. There's been sort of a pattern since the super city came into effect in 2010 that rates sort of are held around the rate of inflation. And that was the case under Len Brown and Phil Goff. But in the last couple of years, with the challenges of COVID, recovery budgets and things like that, rates have sort of climbed up. In this year, they went up by 7.7% for households, 11% overall. Those are the biggest rate increases we've had since the start of the super city. Brown has also spoken in favour of the regional fuel tax and the water reform plan. What sparked this change in tune and how has National responded given that their views on those issues are slightly different from Brown? Well, there is a difference there between what Wayne Brown wants in terms of the regional fuel tax. He wants the tax to stay in place until there's congestion charging or time of use charging, as he refers to it, put in place on major roads into the central city. Simeon Brown, National's transport spokesman, has told me that National is going to abolish the regional fuel tax and that will probably occur before congestion charging can be brought in. And that's going to leave a big hole in the transport budget because the tax brings in about $150 million a year. The council gets subsidies from the government on that. So it would have a major impact on the level of investment that Auckland could make into public transport. Bernard, councillors were incredibly reluctant to sell shares in council-operated organisations this year. Does their thinking need to change? I think the conversation certainly needs to occur, and it'll be interesting to see if the mayor tries to sell the remainder of the airport shares in the upcoming budget. He's certainly going to have a crack at selling the operating business of Ports of Auckland while retaining the land and council ownership, and that's going to be a very contentious issue with the Maritime Union strongly opposed to the sale. And things like the overseas investment issue, having to have a say, it's certainly going to be a hard issue to get across the line, but the prize looks to be $1 billion for the council. Brian has historically had some difficulty in working with the other councillors sitting around the table. Do you think there could be a challenge in convincing those other councillors to be willing to give up some things in the coming months? Well, I think Brown's got a better relationship with the councillors than he had at the outset. And it was a very interesting sort of process through this year's budget and he adopted a very sort of collegial approach. He did listen to the public feedback, but at the end of the day, the councillors had to sit around the table and make decisions, and I think they did a pretty good job of that. Do you think the other councillors also recognise that, given that there is so much more pressure with inflation and with all these other factors, that we simply have to make concessions if we are to have a city that thrives? Well, that's sort of the guts of the debate in many ways. That's sort of how do we take the city forward at a time when we're facing sort of huge financial challenges. And there are going to have to be trade-offs. Assets 
may have to be sold, rates and water bills are going to rise, some services will get the chop. The trick is finding the right balance. And the other thing on top of this is that underfunding in infrastructure has been a long-running problem. If we are going to start cutting things, what are we going to do about the underfunding in infrastructure? Well, <laughs> there's never been enough money for infrastructure in Auckland, and there has been decades of underinvestment. All councils, all mayors are looking for every dollar they can find to invest and improve investing in infrastructure in Auckland. Bernard, do you think that things could radically change within Auckland in order to offset these massive costs that we're facing at the moment? Not really. Successive national and labour governments have rebutted calls from local government for new funding tools like ending GST on rates, pain rates on Crown property. And if anything, successive governments have added costs to local government. Wayne Brown told me this week that the current situation for councils is becoming intolerable. It's crunch time and something's got to change. So do you think that we need to see massive changes in how central and local governments work together? Well, we've got to see an improved relationship, but every new government that comes into office talks about building strong relations with local government. But at the end of the day, central government has not been willing to hand over new funding tools that would take the pressure off Auckland Council and all the councils around the country. Thanks for joining us, Bernard. Auckland Council isn't alone in struggling to make ends meet. Shocking revelations in recent weeks showed that Wellington councillors were discussing their city's financial woes behind closed doors. Wellington-based senior reporter Georgina Campbell broke that story, and she joins us now to explain why our capital city may need to cut spending by tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars. Can you explain the slightly odd way the public became aware of Wellington's financial woes? Yeah, so a Wellington city councillor actually lifted the lid on this. Diane Calvert sought legal advice to reveal the council essentially needs to cut capital expenditure by tens of millions of dollars, if not hundreds of millions of dollars in the coming years. And the way this came about is that Diane Calvert made the comments in a committee meeting during a public debate on the council's zero waste program. So she revealed a little bit of information that councillors had been given behind closed doors. Calvert said in the meeting, councillors don't know the specifics, but said, you know, they had received this briefing on the state of the council's finances and that they're facing significant challenges coming up and they're going to have to make significant decisions. So just to give some context to this, we've got the $7.4 billion beleaguered Let's Get Willing to Moving transport plan, a lot of earthquake work in Tanako Civic Square, upgrades to social housing, rising insurance costs, other earthquake risks are all putting pressure on the council's finances. So Councillor Diane Calvert basically said, you know, they're facing a financial crisis. Now, this ruffled a few feathers in the meeting because I think some councillors were a bit surprised that Diane Calvert was referring to information that they had received in a confidential setting. So one councillor asked, you know, hey, is this actually appropriate that these details are being revealed? The committee chairwoman, Councillor Timothy Paul, said, look, 
she understood Calvert had sought legal advice to reveal just a little bit without giving away too many details. And Councillor Paul said, you know, she didn't think that Calvert was specific in what she disclosed in her speech. And so this was okay. So have these woes been openly admitted yet or are these discussions still happening behind closed doors? They're very much still happening behind closed doors. And I think the pressure will really come on Wellington City Council now that Auckland Mayor Wayne Brown has been very open about the financial situation that Auckland Council is facing. This briefing that Wellington City Council has received was a part of the long-term plan process. This is the council's 10-year budget. And so I did ask the council's chief strategy and governance officer, Stephen MacArthur, about this. He said, look, it's standard practice for briefings at the early stages of this long-term plan process to be held in private. He says, while some of the broad financial issues are well-known, other issues involve commercially sensitive information. And he said it would be highly inappropriate to discuss these publicly at such an early stage of the process. You know, he says council staff are now going to go away, produce some reports, you know, maybe some recommendations and options for councillors to consider. And these reports will then be made publicly available later in the year. But I think Wayne Brown is being smart politically in that he's getting ahead on this. You know, the long-term plan is really a mere chance to stamp their mark on the direction of the council and hopefully, maybe in a better economic climate, get some wins over the line. But it's really their plan and budget to own. And so I guess Wayne Brown is getting out in front of it. In Tori Farno's case, councillors have beaten her to it, which I guess makes it more difficult for her to take control of this and own it. What's caused the financial woes in Wellington? Oh, we just have so many budget pressures at the moment. You know, recent examples that Tori Fano couldn't have planned for when she made all of her campaign promises last year are the Michael Fowler Centre and the Opera House being deemed earthquake prone. The council has a growing portfolio of earthquake prone buildings, and boy, they are expensive to fix. We're talking hundreds of millions of dollars. Meanwhile, the other big issue that has really emerged this year is that the region is facing the very real prospect that we could run out of water this summer, triggering severe restrictions. And essentially, councils have kicked this can down the road and now, yeah, shit's hit the fan, basically. Councils are being asked to include three recommendations in their upcoming long-term plans for this. That's more money for fixing leaks, replacing old infrastructure, uh, universal water meters, and building another storage lake. All of that is going to require more spending. The Golden Mile revitalisation is a key component of Let's Get Wellington Moving, a $7.4 billion infrastructure project. If we want to attract business and talent and investment to our city, a growing city, then we need to get on with this. Given the massive expense and necessity of earthquake strengthening buildings, does that leave little flexibility in how much budget can be moved around? Yeah, I think it does. I think all of this points to the wider issue facing local government councils up and down the country, which is their revenue streams. They just cannot continue 
to hike up rates, especially in a cost of living crisis. We've had Auckland Mayor Wayne Brown and Tory Fano now push political parties ahead of this general election to provide a fairer share of tax revenue for their respective councils. So some of the suggestions that have been made include an annual transfer of tax revenue equal to GST charged on council rates, a nationally funded solution to managed retreat, and rates to be paid on Crown properties. You know, incredibly, central government agencies pay limited or no rates and charges on their properties. And there was a big report into this issue that was published earlier this year. The report said there's nothing to stop this from being charged now. All that is needed is the political will to do so. You know, this is just one thing that would help councils out. The report said central government paying rates would be a signal of good faith and a sign of central government commitment to a more equitable funding model. And look, I'm not saying that councils have been perfect angels and have always spent their money wisely. But what I am saying is that my personal view is that they deserve a fairer share to address their growing list of unfunded mandates. Councils, they're running out of money, that they need other revenue streams. With budgets, there are always trade-offs. Of course, we can't have everything on the wish list, but I think these trade-offs will only become more stark if they don't have a sustainable funding model that allows them to make good and necessary decisions. Do you think that the struggles within the capital city could lead to people, particularly those on the younger side, leaving? Yep, I do. I don't think the issues at Wellington City Council are the sole driver of that. I think the wider state of the economy plays into that. I think there is a sentiment that it's really difficult to get ahead, you know, and I guess for younger people in Wellington, they will typically be renters. I've been in a situation as a renter where the property manager has called me and said, hey, sorry, but we're going to have to put up your rent this year because the city council rates are just so high. And so even while you may not own a property as a young person in Wellington, you're still feeling the effects of this as well as, you know, inflation and grocery costs and and all the rest of it. And just anecdotally within my own circles, I know of a lot of people who, you know, have, have either moved overseas already or are planning to. Georgina, do you think Wellingtonians will have to adjust to seeing big picture projects getting cut? Or do you think that Tory Fano's council will be able to find another solution? I think we are going to have to push back new projects. I think it's very important that Wellington City Council finishes the things that they have started, looks at what they've got on their plate and focuses on the absolute essentials. There are some other examples of this that aren't specific to Wellington City Council, but Greater Wellington Regional Council, for example, has 18 new hybrid electric trains in the pipeline that they've secured from the government, but they're having trouble with Kiwi Rail and other stakeholders in terms of a budget blowout on preparing the trackside infrastructure for that. Another example with Kiwi Rail, it's got two mega ferries coming. They're also dealing with a budget blowout on the terminals that are required, the portside infrastructure that is required to accommodate these new ferries. So I think it's really important that we just 
probably scale back, but focus on finishing the things that we've started. Thanks for joining us, Georgina. That's it for this episode of The Front Page. You can read more about today's stories and extensive news coverage at nzherald.co.nz. The Front Page is produced by Sean D. Wilson and edited by Paddy Fox with executive producer Ethan Sills. I'm Damien Venuto. Subscribe to The Front Page on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. And tune in tomorrow for another look behind the headlines.